listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Go ahead and be seated. Visiting with us, welcome. If you just come in since we've, uh, since we've started, we're going to celebrate at the table. So if you don't have your elements, you'd like to participate with us in the Lord's Supper, we have it right down here. If you just come down, grab it for yourself. This is for genuine followers of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, that means that you've recognized that you are a sinner without hope in and of yourself, that in your sin, you are separated from God and in need of His forgiveness of his redemption, and that redemption has been provided by none other but the God-man, Jesus Christ, born in flesh. Through his death and resurrection, you have new life, salvation in him. So if that's you, we invite you to join with us at the table. Now, before you go to pulling things apart, (laughs) some of you are already in that situation. But there's a little cracker in the top portion of this. You say, isn't this this a little silly? Can't we do better than this? Probably. But, you know, this is a germ deal, and this is a great way of doing this and and keeping everybody isolated. So that's that's why we utilize these great pieces of technology. There's a little bitty, thin, clear plastic piece that you're going to want to pull back first. That will allow you to find this little round wafer. I'm going to to tell you, this thing tastes bad. <laughs> I just imagine that, uh, that the bread that Jesus gave his disciples as they were celebrating the supper tasted a whole lot better than this is going to. This is going to be just a, a step down from cardboard. <laughs> but it's not about the taste. It's about the opportunity for us to together remember. You say, well, we remember. I know we do. But it can become second nature. Just we know the gospel. We know the story. We celebrate it. We sing about it. And it can become, wow, how dare us, but just sort of ordinary. So what this does is gives us an opportunity in an extraordinary way to remember what Christ has done for us in his broken body, in our place, for our sin, so that we might be made righteous, so that we might be made right with our creator, so that we might walk in fellowship with him. We remember. The Bible says that Jesus gave thanks He blessed it. So let's ask thanks for the opportunity we have to together celebrate. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for this place. We thank you for everyone who's gathered. We thank you that that, that our, our regulars are here. We thank you for the folks that are watching online, that are participating with us there in their living room or their kitchen. God, we thank you for the visitors who have come today, and we pray that you would meet them right where they're at. Where they're at. God, that you would minister to them, and if you would allow us to represent you well, that's what we want to do. 
God, we want to thank you for Jesus. We want to thank you for his willing sacrifice. We thank you that his body was broken, not against his will. But God, in in, in keeping with your will, he submitted so that we might be set free. And so we celebrate both the bread and the, the cup, remembering his body, remembering his blood. And we do so with, uh, without reservation. We do so gladly. We trumpet his death and resurrection because it is the gospel. It is hope for all. And so as we remember this, Lord, I pray that you would just rekindle in our heart that desire to be a conduit of your love from you to those who have yet to hear and to surrender. May this be a tangible reminder as we wait the return of your son, our king. For it's in his name we pray. Everybody said, take, eat, he said, this is my body, broken for you. And then you can pull back the little stronger piece. Be careful, we don't want you to wear this on your new dress. So you can pull that back. And in like fashion, Jesus took the cup, handed it to them, and said, Here, take, drink, and remember blood, not poured out yet for them, but for us we remember. So take, drink, and remembrance. Excellent. And so, God, we ask that you'll use this time in your word to encourage us, to challenge us, to launch us into the opportunities you have for us this week. And God, if it were to be that somebody that's here today has never trusted Jesus, may they hear louder than anything else, you love them just like they are. The redemption that you've provided through Christ will meet them right where they are. You'll change them. You'll transform them as you bring them into your family. God, if they came today not knowing Jesus, may they trust him fully, completely, without reservation before they leave today, even as we wait. Thank you, Father. Use this time for your glory. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you guys for allowing me to be, well, my wife and I both, to be back in Kids Connection for the month of February. That's always a very fun but interesting time, okay? Your kids ask hard questions, okay? And last week they asked me some questions that honestly I wanted to tell them what I thought, but what I had to tell them was, you know what, I don't know. And neither does anybody else, but here's what I think based on what I do know. So your kids are, well, they're a challenge in their questions and, uh, and, and maybe a little bit in their behavior, but not a lot, not a lot. So we had a good time. Thank you for letting us be a part. And you say, well, why, why do you do that? I do that because I love your kids and I want them to know me and I want them to know how important they are 
to us, they, they aren't the church of the future, right? You get that, right? They're the church today. And I get the privilege of leading student ministry, not because we want to raise up the next generation of Oasis Church, because we need that generation of Oasis Church to spur us along and be a catalyst for us who have gotten lazy and tired and are missing the mission. So we're trying to to get them fired up so that they can keep the fire to us who are their seniors uh, in age, but still have the same responsibility. So we love your kids. But it got started, me going back to Kids Connection in the month of February, as a means by which to say, we need volunteers in kids ministry. And I think one of the best ways for me to encourage you to volunteer in kids ministry in some capacity is to serve in kids ministry myself. So as to say, hey, y'all, if I can do it, y'all can do it. So this is your first of many pitches we need volunteers. Now, one of the things that I had the opportunity to observe and to actually work with in Kids Connection is that right now, we have everyone from K-4 all the way through sixth, uh, through fifth grade in one place. K-4 through fifth grade. Well, what we would like to be able to do is take our K-4, K-5, and first graders and separate them into an, an environment that is more suited to their age bracket. But you know, we can only do that if we have folks who will volunteer to be a part of that age bracket. So begin praying. Okay, Lord, how is it that you want me to be involved in children's ministry? You say, I can't do that. Well, you don't know. You haven't asked about it. There are all kinds of ways for you to serve. And here's your first of many pitches that says, if you're one of us, visitors, don't worry about it. I'm not leaning on you. Glad you're here. Just sit back and enjoy yourself. If you're one of us, well, we need you. Let's find out how we can plug you in so that we can be better at what God has called us to do in discipling or partnering with you in the discipleship of your children. Luke chapter number five is where we're going to pick up. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Greg. Uh, always, when any of these men stand in, in my place, um, they do fantastic, and I'm always very proud to have them, and they do a great job. Absolutely, Charles. Give them a hand. That's awesome. It's uh, It's... It's really exciting to be able to have folks around that can do, and, th- and there are more that can, that can also fill that spot, but these guys are always ready to go whenever asked, so thank you, and, uh, and, I, and I really appreciate that. So we're going to pick up where, uh, where Greg left off last week in Luke chapter number five. So Jesus has healed a leper. That was cool. Jesus came up to a, a one who was considered unclean and, and had to keep their distance from, from everyone. And Jesus came into his space and did the exact opposite of what everyone else in the community did. Jesus reached out and touched the man and cleansed him of his leprosy. And then on the heels of that, Jesus is teaching in a house and four friends bring one of their other buddies who can't walk. He, he's, he's crippled and he can't get around. So they bring him on a mat. They let him down through the house because the jerks at the door won't let him in because they didn't think they deserved to be in. And so they climbed up on top of the roof, let the fella down into the middle. And what does Jesus do? Well, he heals him, but he says something very controversial. 
He looks at the man and says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, who do you think you are, Jesus? It's not about who he thinks he is. It's about who he is. Only God can forgive sins. Exactly. And Jesus says, I have authority to forgive sin. Well, that just really stirred up the religious in the crowd. How can he do this? And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you. What would be easier for me to say that your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Well, obviously to say your sins are forgiven because I could say that. I could look at any one of you and say, your sins are forgiven. You have a million dollars in your bank account, right? And it not be true, but my words don't prove and I can say whatever I want. Jesus says, what would be easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say to this man, get up and walk, but so that you will know that I have authority to forgive sin, I say to you, get up, take up your bed, go home. And that's exactly what the crippled man did. He stood up grabbed his mat and he went out and everyone was amazed at what they saw and everyone was talking verse 27 of chapter 5 after this how long we don't know we don't know but sometime could have been right after they could have prayed and dismissed and and walked out the door and these things could have happened we don't know it's ambiguous but after these things Luke says he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, Jesus' disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered him, or answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We've titled this this morning, The Gospel Versus Bad Religion. You say, well, wait a minute, I, th I thought the gospel was versus religion. Well, you know, religion in and of itself is not bad. James talks about what is good religion. So religion is not necessarily a bad thing, but bad religion is. And so we're talking about the, the contrast between the gospel that Jesus is going to lay forth and the bad religion of the Pharisees and the scribes, which is going to be a constant theme throughout this book. It already has been, and it's going to continue to be. This juxtaposition between Jesus and the gospel that he is presenting as Messiah and the, and the Jewish temple leaders that should have understood exactly what he was talking about, but because of the threat that Jesus was to them, they chose to reject him. And we're going to see another instance of this happening today. The, the first of the two scenes that we'll see are what I say. These religious leaders saying, why are you doing that? Jesus, why is it that you're doing 
what you're doing. Well, what is it that Jesus did? Well, we see in verse number 27 that after these things, Jesus, in his movement about, in his ministry, came in contact with a gentleman named Levi. We've got a Levi, plays bass, today plays guitar, sometimes he plays banjo. Different Levi in our story today. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew identifies this one as Matthew. So we see Levi, we can remember that that must have been his proper name, or maybe Matthew was his proper name, Levi was his middle name. At any rate, Luke knew him as Levi. And Jesus came, and it's not that he just saw this man, it's that he fixated on him. When he saw him, it's an idea of he recognized him, and he gazed on him. He stared at him. He became focused on him. Many of you in here are people watchers. You like to go, okay? You like to go, you like to sit, you like to watch people. Why? Because people are funny. People are weird, and that sometimes is funny, and maybe you're funny to, you never know, you might be someone that people are watching because you're weird. So we see folks and we recognize, oh, that's Tall man, that's a short woman right there. Wow, that's a a very interesting hairdo that one has. Wow, that one's got a lot of ink on them. That one's got, wow, that one doesn't have a lot of clothes on them. So we see folks all the time and we recognize. So that's not out of the ordinary. This is very out of the ordinary. Luke says that Levi would have been someone that everyone else in the community would have absolutely avoided. They would have walked around, they would have gone out of their way not to have contact with Levi, Luke says, because he was a tax collector. Now, Levi, being a tax collector, was not likely the head tax collector of that community. More than likely, he was like a hireling because The tax collectors of a region, they would bid on that opportunity with the Roman government. The Roman government would set up a a region, and then folks with means, they would bid on a region, and they would actually pay the Romans to be the tax collectors, and then they knew how much that needed to be collected, and so they would bid on it, and then they would mark it up so that they could get enough taxes to pay Rome what Rome was expecting, and if they wanted to hire some thugs and others to make sure that everybody paid what was owed, well, they had to pay them, so it was a a business venture. Probably uh, Levi was not that. Probably Matthew was more of a hireling under one of these publicani that had bid on the opportunity. Zacchaeus, we're going to learn later on in this book, was a chief tax collector, so Zacchaeus wasn't even more hated dude. But Levi would have been a hired collector in this area. If it's in the same city, it would have been Capernaum. Levi would have had a booth set up and it would have been his responsibility to collect taxes from people on behalf of Rome. And being a Jewish man, Levi was hated Because they hated the Romans, they hated the occupation, and he was working for those low-down Romans that charged us in a lot of different opportunities. There were multiple taxes that people had to pay. They had to pay a poll tax, P-O-L-L tax. Everyone had to pay a poll tax for just breathing. 
It was what you paid because you were living in Roman territory. And everyone would then have to pay an income tax. Sometimes this was connected to the land that they had, a land tax. And what that was is whatever you earned, you owed a percentage. You're going, wait a minute, this sounds a lot like where we live. That's true. So this land tax, this income tax would take a tenth of your, um, of your grain and a fifth of all of your fruit and wine. And then they would tax you to transport your produce. So if you went from one city to another or one territory to another, they would tax that. They would, if you wanted to send a letter, you wanted to post it from one place to the next, they would tax that. You're sounding, it sounds more like where we live. Tax on top of tax on top of tax on top of tax. The good thing we have is that TurboTax will tell you what you owe and that's all you owe, you hope. The Romans would tell these chief tactic collectors what to gather, and then they would hire folks to gather that plus. So the Jewish people were always paying exorbitant amounts of taxes to a government not their own that didn't have their best interest in mind, and they'd have to hand it to one of their own. One of the writers that I read behind said, according to rabbinical tradition, so the tradition of the rabbis, a lot of this is seen in in the work known as the Mishnah, where where they interpret the scripture, but in in a, a tradition similar to that, here's what it says about tax collectors. There was no hope for a man like Levi. He would be excluded from all religious fellowship, His money would be considered tainted and defiled, and he could not serve as a witness in court. The rabbis would have no word of help for a Jewish tax collector. He was unclean. He was the lowest of the low. He was the worst of the worst. He was a traitor. He was an outcast. You're going to work for them then you're not one of us. And he was despised. But what does Luke tell us? Luke tells us that Jesus fixated on him. And Jesus went to him, and and, you know, I like to imagine. It doesn't say it in the text, but I just like to imagine that Jesus caught eyes with Levi as he was walking up. And maybe through his beard, Jesus began to smile at Levi. And I'm imagining that Levi is watching this Jewish rabbi smiling, walking toward him, thinking, oh, he's going to lay it on me now. Well, he's going to have some, some little slur. He's going to give it me. He's going to tear me apart because none of the rabbis like us and they don't even consider us a part of the community. And I just imagine that Jesus walked up smiling and said, hey man, want to follow me? What, what was it that Jesus was saying? It's not just, hey, I want to show you something. Come here, follow me. I want, I want. No, he was saying, hey, do, do you want to be one of my disciples? The rabbis had no help for the tax collectors. Would lead the people in ignoring them and despising them and hating them and wishing that everything they had would just burn down or at least they'd just go away because of how 
filthy they were. And now Jesus is going, come on, be one of mine. Notice what Levi did. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I just got to imagine that Levi, Matthew, had heard about some of the things Jesus was doing. I just got to believe that he had heard about some of the folks that were following him, some of the strange people. We learned about them earlier in this chapter, fishermen. And, and they were kind of a rag. He was creating this ragtag bunch of outsiders. And I just got to imagine that, that Levi was, was thinking how bizarre it would be for him to follow this one. But yet in him was that pull. And what's he do? Okay, boys, I'm going to leave this with y'all. I'm going to follow him. Think about how radical that was. Now, surely he had helpers. It's not like he just threw the money to the crowd, but maybe he did. All we know is that Luke says, just like Andrew and Peter and James and John, who were pulling up with the biggest catch they had ever had to the seashore, bringing all that, all that fish to the, to the shore. They were going to sell. They were going to have a greater profit than they'd ever had. What did they do? Jesus said, all right, y'all ready to go catch some men? And they went, okay, we're with him. Left it all and followed Jesus. Now, Levi closes his books. Okay, fellas, I think I'm going with him. Jesus intentionally engaged the most hated person in the community. And he invited him to be one of his. Levi responds in faith and follows him. The worst of the worst, the lowest of the low, is who Jesus made a beeline to doesn't stop there. Verse number 29, Levi made him a great feast in his house. Well, so Levi must have been a fairly wealthy individual because he's got a house and he's throwing a feast and this would not have been a cheap endeavor. So even though Matthew wasn't the top dog, he was middle management in this tax endeavor. And so he was bringing in some coin. And that's what he's leaving. That's what he's walking away from. And he establishes a feast. I think like most of the commentators that I read, I think what Levi was doing was wanting to get like his crowd and audience with this one he was about to follow. I just imagine that he's like, you guys, I just, I need you to know where I'm going and I need you to know the one I'm following. And I just want you to meet this guy. It's crazy. He came to me. And he gathers these friends, what? A company of tax collectors and others. Well, Luke says others, but later on the Pharisees call them sinners. So you just got to imagine that this crowd is the crowd that Levi has to hang with because none of his own people will walk with him. None of his own people want to have anything to do with it. I like to imagine that probably this crowd was other tax booth operators and maybe even some of the unsavory gentlemen that would go around and lean on folks that maybe could not or would not pay. You know, the kind of guys that wouldn't mind breaking a leg every now and then. 
I just like to imagine that this new convert, this new follower of Jesus has called all of these like alley, dark alley folks to the house and hey Jesus, y'all come. I want you to meet some of my people. And they were there reclining at the table. Jesus in the house of a tax collector full of of dark people and his disciples around and and don't you know too they had to have been loud you know that they they weren't allowed to even be a part of the religious ceremonies They, they, they they weren't allowed to be a part of anything that that was had anything to do with the Jewish heritage they were written out of the will and don't you know that they just when they threw a party they just figured you know what why bother upsetting these folks they already hate us So I just imagine that that house is just thumping. No electricity, you know, no bass groove you're hearing. But I just imagine that it was loud. It it, it might have even been raucous. It it, it might have even had the authorities called. Hey, Levi, could you hold it down in there? They're partying. They're celebrating. Some of them don't even know why. I can't, Leo, I can't imagine that, that you're, you're going with this guy, but pass the wine, y'all. This is, and you, what, now what's your name? You're, you're what? You're Jesus? You're from where? And aren't you the one that they were saying that your mom and dad weren't married when you were born? This is the one you're following, Levi? Okay, can I have third street from over to six? And there they are, and the religious crowd outside, shaking their head. Can, can you believe that? They're all in there with these tax collectors. I, do they not know how defiled they are becoming in there with all that riffraff? Maybe it is that one of the disciples had to get up and come out. Or maybe it is that after the party was over and they're exiting... Some of the Pharisees and their scribes walking alongside some of the disciples looked at him and said, grumbling, verse 30, why do y'all eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Don't you know we don't do this? Those are folks we don't associate with. And Jesus answered them. I just imagine Jesus walking up ahead, these Pharisees talking to his disciples in the background, and Jesus just stopping and turning around going, no, it's all right, fellas, I'll answer this one. (laughs) I don't doubt at all you guys are wondering how it is that I'm in there with those folks. And Jesus answered them, here's why. A very simple response he gives. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Now, if you didn't go to the doctor this week, raise your hand and keep it up. If you didn't go to the doctor this week, raise your hand and keep it up. If you didn't go to the doctor and you should have went to the doctor, put your hand down. Okay, so you put your hand down. why, why, Why don't we go to the doctor when we're not feeling bad? Because why give them a hundred bucks 
if we don't need to, right? We don't go to the doctor other than just regular checkup. We, we don't go to the doctor just to help them make their boat payment. I know they don't. They pay more in insurance. They can't afford a boat anymore than we can. Okay. Well, why do we want to contribute to them if we don't need it? Jesus said, look, those who are well don't need a doctor. And I would imagine that the Pharisees in their own mind said, of course we get that. But Jesus was being a little sarcastic. Because when he was talking about those being well, he was referring to their spiritual condition, not their physical. And, and, and you and I both know that have been around the Scripture long enough, ain't nobody well. We're all sick. We're all deathly ill. We all need a physician. But Jesus sarcastically said, hey, if you're not sick, you don't need a physician. But those who are sick do. I have not come to call the righteous. You think you're righteous because of the things you do, because of the rules that you keep, because of the things that you have, because of the way that you think you live. You think you're right before God because of who you are and what you do and the position you hold. And obviously you're right before God or you'd not be in that position. You would not have these opportunities. You think you're righteous. I know you're not, but I'm not here for the self-righteous. I'm here for sinners. I've come to call sinners to repentance. Now, notice he didn't say, I've, called, I've come to call sinners to follow me and do what they do and be what they are and not change at all. No, I've called sinners to what? Repentance. What does he mean? To recognize what they are in their sin, recognize their need, recognize their inability to change their heart that is totally turned against and away from God and accept the fact that Jesus is the means through which my heart can be made right. I've come to call those who know they need forgiveness, I've called them to repent and follow me where they'll receive that forgiveness. But you think you're righteous. So gentlemen, I have nothing for you. That's a hard thing to hear. The Savior of the world looking at someone who needs his forgiveness as much as anyone else but doesn't think they do. And Jesus saying, I got nothing for you then. But these who recognize who they are and what they need, well, I'm making house calls because that's what I'm here for. It frustrated them because they hated Levi and, and did not want to see him in right relationship with God. But the gospel is different. The gospel aggressively pursues sinners while bad religion piously separates from them. If we're going to follow Jesus, you know who we're going to have to aggressively pursue? The worst of the worst of the worst. The lowest of the low. 
the ones who do and think things that, that blow our minds that we would never do or think. I couldn't even imagine making that choice. And those are the ones that we are called to aggressively pursue. Pick them out of the crowd and instead of recognizing, okay, I need to go out a different exit because I certainly don't want to have to talk to that one. No, we take the opposite. The gospel aggressively pursues the worst. You're glad the gospel aggressively pursues the worst. Because if you know Jesus as your Savior, somebody responding to the gospel call that Jesus gives his followers represented him and brought the gospel to you. We need to see them. We need to go toward them. But, but not only just why are you doing that, they ask another question. Why aren't you doing this? We pick up verse number 33. Maybe they're thinking about the celebration in Levi's house. Maybe this is a time away. I don't know. But Luke puts it right here. And they said to him, being Jesus, the disciples of John, John the Baptist, who was baptizing those with a message of repentance in anticipation of the coming of Messiah, John's disciples fast often. It means that they, they don't eat for a period of time, a specified period of time. John's disciples participate in the fasting that we do and, and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. Jesus, why don't you participate in the fasting that is normal for the people of God? There were the big three. When it comes to religiosity, when it come to the things that we were going to do to prove that we were like super spiritual in our walk with God, in our obedience to Him, there were three that we were going to participate in. Number one was praying. The, the next was giving alms, giving to the poor, putting into the coffer. And then there was fasting taking a time period where we would not eat or we would refrain from other activities so that we might focus time on prayer. So praying generally in public, giving generally in public, and fasting generally visible in public. Now Matthew, the gentleman who's the namesake here in his gospel, chapter number six, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually addresses these big three, praying, in public, Jesus said, don't do that. If you want to pray, go into your closet and pray. Just you and God. God will hear you there. It ain't important that everybody hear you out here. Hey, when you're going to give, good. Give in secret. Like, like fold it up. Like When folks, you know, when they're going to give you money, you know, they roll it up in their hand. You know, they're going to hand it to you. You know, it's like, like I couldn't see it when you moved your hand around. You're like, okay, go ahead and put that back in your pocket. Put it in secret. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't talk about how much you give. Don't, don't, don't make sure that everybody knows that, you know, my name's on that brick that's on the thing. So do it in secret. Let, let God bless you. He knows what you're doing. And when it comes to fasting, don't, la- don't act like you're fasting. In fact, it seems like Jesus is actually saying 
kind of put on a little bit. He's not. He's not saying be a hypocrite. But what he's saying is, okay, so you're going to miss a meal. Don't act like you're starving. Put your makeup on. Don't tell everybody, hey, I'm going without lunch today. They're probably going to say, you could use that more than one day. Just do it. I could use that more than one day. That was not to anybody in particular. Do it in secret. Okay. So now they're wanting to know why... Jesus, don't your disciples take part in the fasting? I looked. In the Old Testament, there's only one required fast. In all the Old Testament, required fast, it's on the Day of Atonement. On the day that the priest would take the, 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 the goat of the sacrifice and the scapegoat, he would sacrifice this one and use the blood and he would pour over the Ark of the Covenant and then he would put his hands and he would confess the sin of the people and they would send him out into the wilderness to take the sin away from the camp. That was a day that the people were to fast. Otherwise, fasting was an opportunity, a gift that God gave to his people that they might commune more with him by by denying themselves and focusing on him. It was a way to to, to be in, in, in greater contact with him because you wanted to be. It wasn't a command. And in the New Testament, you're not gonna find Paul, Peter, James, anybody telling you you need to fast. It's an opportunity. As I study this week, I thought, you know what? I probably should bring that into my life because I don't think I've ever done that consistently, but it would probably help me in my walk with Christ. But it's a gift. It's not a thing to do. The Pharisees did it every Monday and Thursday, not making that up. They would fast every Monday and Thursday. And they want to know why Jesus' disciples aren't doing what they do. Jesus says, well, I'm going to answer you this question with an illustration. And he says, Can you, verse 34, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom's with them? He says, let let, let me just give you an, an illustration. When the bridegroom comes to get his bride, that means we're going to, in this culture, party for a week. I mean, they've been saving, they've been putting up. He's been gone for a year, he had to be, because this is going to be expensive. When he gets home and he's there for the wedding, everybody's going to be gathered and it's going to be a week-long party, a celebration, a blowout. It is going to be awesome. I like to go to a party because I know there's going to be fiddles. There's going to be food. There's going to be those little hot dogs in the barbecue sauce that are going to give me incredible heartburn and throw my blood pressure into a tailspin. But I love those things in the little crock pot. Because it's fun. It's exciting. At the party, unless you're cheap, you probably don't hear folks saying, you know, I'm glad you came, but what we're going to do instead of food and celebration, we're going to enjoy a fast. You talk about... A wet blanket. It's like, oh, great. Why did I come to this? Jesus says, so at a wedding, you don't require the, the guests to fast when the bridegroom is with them, do you? You know what Jesus was saying? Jesus was saying, fasting is not appropriate with me here. And, and, and he's not hiding what he's saying. The Old Testament knew that 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 God described himself in several places through the prophets as the bridegroom. And that celebrating would happen. Fasting to the Pharisees meant communing with God. Jesus is going, there's just no need to fast when I'm here. 
I, I'm not going to ask them to mourn and, 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 and to, to put on sackcloth. I'm here. I'm with them. But then he says in verse number 35, a veiled anticipation of his, of his coming death. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. Well, there's going to be a day coming when the bridegroom's going to be taken away and they're going to be huddled in a corner and they're not going to be worried about what's for supper. They're going to be calling on the Lord. God, what is happening? We thought he was the one. Now he's gone. I personally think that when he came back to life, that probably ended the fast. But, you know, we don't have him today, and we face some pretty difficult things. Fasting can be a great opportunity for us, but not if Jesus is here. He said, so it's not appropriate. There'll come a time to fast, and they will, but it's not today. That's why they're not doing what you do. Because what you do is incompatible with who I am and the message that I am presenting. And then he gives them three more illustrations. He also told them a parable. Number one, no one tears a piece of new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, it will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. Anybody ever have patched blue jeans when you're growing up? Anybody? No? If, if your mama patched it right, she put it on the inside of the clothes so that the whole, you know, so then you wouldn't have this big visible patch. If, listen, if she ironed yours on the outside, I'm sorry, because then everybody looked at you and like, oh, yeah, patchy. No, you put it on the inside. But, but here's what Jesus is saying. If you've wore out your pants, you wouldn't go to Belk, buy a new pair of pants, bring it home, get out your scissors, cut up the new pants, and put that on the hole, would you? That would be dumb. That would just be dumb. Number one, the, the thing's not going to match because the old pants and the new pants aren't the same color. Not only that, when you put it in the washing machine, the new cloth's going to shrink and the old's not, and it's going to tear it worse. And not only that, why in the world are you cutting up your new pants? That's just dumb. Jesus is saying... What I am is the new. Jeremiah the prophet, chapter number 32, uh, 31 of his very lengthy prophetic work says, there's a new covenant coming. And Jesus goes, you don't take the new and make it fit the old because they're not the same. It's new, just the same way. No one puts new wine in old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. The old wine's in the old wine skins because all the fermentation has happened. It's stretched. It's old wine. It's fine. It's just in the old wine skin. You don't put new wine in old wine skins. You know why? Because as those sugars begin to ferment, as that alcohol begins to form, it's going to expand in those Old wineskins have no room. That's why you got to put it in a new wineskin. I'm, I'm not compatible with you men and the message that you continue to trumpet. And then verse number 39, 
No one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. This is actually kind of a backwards way of saying, you that have decided what is old is best, well, you're not even going to want to try the new and you're going to poo-poo it the whole time because you've decided that the old is better. I don't want flat Dr. Pepper. If I'm really thirsty, I might get a swig of flat Dr. Pepper. But if there's a new bottle, you know what I want? The new bottle. But how dumb is it to have decided that the old is better so now you can keep the new? Jesus says, what I am is what God promised And it's better than everything else you've been doing. It's better than everything else you've been misunderstanding. It's better than you could have ever hoped for. But you're going to have to set that down if you're going to follow me. And follow me because I'm better. And I'm what God's promised. And it's going to be great. But I'm not going to dance to your music. The gospel reproduces in us the words and works of Jesus, while bad religion remains stuck in the powerless traditions of men. Jesus showing his authority over bad religion and incorrect understanding And showing just exactly who he's come for. No one is excluded. I'm coming for the worst. I'm coming for the lowest. And if they'll just simply follow me, then they can experience the life that I have to offer. So here's my question. Have you ever responded to the aggressive pursuit of Jesus? Because Jesus is aggressively pursuing sinners right now, today, this day. There are faces in the crowd that I don't know. And I just have to say, have you ever responded to Jesus' call that says, look, just, I know what you are. I know what you've done. I know what you're doing. Just leave that and come follow me. You ever responded to that? He's aggressively pursuing you today. And it's just a matter of you like you are. God, here I am. Jesus, here I am. I I, I, want to come. I have nothing to offer except all this baggage, but I'll come if you'll have me. He'll have you. Christian, Jesus doesn't want more of you. A lot of times I hear folks say, well, I just want to give more of my life to Jesus. I just want Jesus to have more of me. Jesus doesn't want more of you. Jesus wants all of you. And here's the thing. Any of you that you think you need to hold on to is worthless compared to what he has to offer you. Maybe it is that that you've responded to his call to follow him, but over time you've kind of picked up some of the things that you left behind 
You've kind of picked those back up. You, now you're trying, to, you're trying to have Jesus in your life. And Jesus goes, that's not how it works. You need to set those things down. You just follow me. I, I'll handle those things. I don't think Jesus expects you to necessarily quit your job to follow him. But he certainly doesn't want anything else in your life to be a drag on you or that keeps you from him. We set those things aside and we just follow. Followers of Jesus are called to aggressively pursue sinners with the gospel of life. Who are you avoiding? Let's just be real. We all got them. It may be political differences. It may be their, their, their choices in life, the things they're doing, the company they keep. The vocation that they have, the the way they look, the way they dress, the way they don't dress. It could be all kinds of different reasons. It could could be things that that have been done, and so you, you just want to stay away, and yet they are the ones that Jesus is aggressively pursuing, and he wants to use us. That's what he's called us to do. So follower of Jesus, you are called to aggressively pursue sinners. When we walk out of here today, many of us are going to go to lunch. How are we going to see folks? How will we see the waiter, waitress? And lastly, followers of Jesus must be very aware and avoid the dangers of religious tradition. You know, God's not really impressed with the things that you do for him. You know that, right? The stuff that you're able to accomplish for him. Look what I did, Lord. You know, that's not really all that impressive to him. How long you spend in the prayer closet that you've got a streak on your version of, you know, I'm at 435-day streak. You know, God's like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm really more about you being in connection to me. All that stuff is, that, that, that's of no import unless it is a part of your walk with me. So where are you at, Christian? How's God speaking to you today? Where are you at? If you're lost, today would be a great day to go home with new life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You've heard God's word. You've heard the opportunities now right where you're at. Just... Do business with him. Young or old. If you find that, uh, that you're wrestling with something that we address today or if there's something else, you'd just like to have somebody to spend some time with you, praying with you, talking with you, Please don't leave really fast because we want to be able to do that for you, with you, encourage you. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity we had to, to sing and to celebrate who you are. We thank you for the opportunity we had at the table to remember your son, our Savior. And we thank you for the scenes that we got to see today from your word, to see just how Jesus looks at the worst 
to give us our cue of who we're to go after. Give us courage, Lord. Give those who hadn't talked to an unbeliever and they can't remember how long the courage to strike up a conversation for the purpose of shining light into their darkness. Father, give us the courage to believe that it's okay to have friendships with unbelievers that we regularly eat with and have coffee with and, and, and listen to them share. And it doesn't mean that we have to participate in the things that are contrary to your word and your will for us, but that we can love them and we can hear them and we can begin to invest in them so that when the opportunity is right, we can share the gospel with them and invite them to follow Jesus just like we have. Help us to believe that we can, but understand that's what you've called us to do. Father, give us a passion. We love you. We thank you. We look forward to what's in store. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.